Crossroads, great to be with you today. Uh, we are kicking off a new series, and I got a phone call from my daughter this week that made me begin to think a little bit more about being known for, you know, what do we want to be known for? Mackenzie lives out in Pittsburgh, and I knew that she had to fly out midweek. She's part of a wedding party and uh, for a wedding this weekend. What I didn't know uh, is that the bride and groom were asking everyone uh, to be tested for COVID beforehand, and she had scheduled an appointment for her test at a national chain pharmacy not far off of a bus stop. So she got off the bus. She walked the rest of the way to the pharmacy to find out that they had changed where they were no longer open inside only the drive-thru. Not knowing what to do, she walks to the drive-thru, begins to walk through the drive-thru, and then she finds out some bad news. Yes, you have an appointment, but no, because you are walking, we cannot help you. Uh, do you have a car? No, I don't have a car. Well, if you just would ride your bicycle through the drive-thru, then we can help you. I don't have a bicycle. Uh, well, what about an Uber? Could you hire an Uber to drive you through the drive-thru? And you know, it is both funny and sad, isn't it? Because there's a level of common sense that just doesn't seem to be there. So I went a Googling. I'm like, I want to know what this national chain pharmacy wants to be known for. And right there on their webpage, it reads like this. We are the leading health solutions company delivering care in ways no one else can. Our purpose is simple and clear, bringing our heart to every moment of your health. If you have a car <laughs> or you own a bicycle or you can afford an Uber, Right. And I'm like, oh, that, that is just a reputation. This is like a story they don't want to be told. But sometimes there's a gap, isn't there, between what we want to be known for and then what we're actually known for. And anytime there's a gap, there's room for growth. That, that's the positive. And anytime there's a gap, there's room for frustration. And that's the negative. And we're beginning this new series of being known for what you're for. And there's three primary elements to this. For five weeks, you're going to hear sermons about this and where we're going and what direction, what we're talking about. But hopefully, uh, you're going to get involved in a small group as well. And in a small group, you're going to watch a video. You're going to have some discussion time. That's sort of like phase two of this. And if you're looking for groups, there's opportunities to sign up today. Uh, our group kicks off this Wednesday night at 7. And I uh, would love to see you signing up for these groups. Then a third phase of this. There are in-between sessions studies. And there are times for you to just have with your quiet time with God, to go through some scriptures, and really get a little bit of a better idea of what would God love for you to be known for, and to even address some of those gaps along the way. And then after you're all done with the series, if any of you want to take it to a bonus level, a fourth level, I said there were only three, right? Uh, you can actually read the book itself. It's a little bit of a different angle, but it gives you even some more details about this series. So today I want to start off with the big concept. What does it look like? What are we going to be talking about? And in the weeks to come, we'll go into more detail. But I can give you five weeks with two questions. This is what you're going to be going through for five weeks, only in more detail and specifics. Here's the two questions. What do you, what do you want to be known for? When you get tied up close with God, what are some things you believe he would like you to be known for? 
And then you're going to do sort of that self-assessment piece and ask, you know, what am I already known for? What would people have to say about me? And when we hit those gaps between the answer to those two questions is, what am I going to do with those gaps? What are you going to do with those gaps? What are we as a church going to do with those gaps? And that's where some real spiritual growth can begin to happen. And I know that you have already processed these questions on some level throughout your life. This past year, Denise and I were hanging out with some of you and just a really sharp couple. And the conversation went like this. You were telling us part of your journey as husband and wife, as mother and father, and just a really sharp couple. And, you know, it became clear that as you process through life and your careers, promotions continued to be offered to you and come your way. And as you kept accepting different promotions, you got to a point where you realized if you both continued to say yes to every single opportunity, every single promotion that came your way, you wouldn't be the wife or the husband that you wanted to be. You wouldn't be the father or mother that you wanted to be known for. It would even begin to probably harm your relationship with your heavenly father. Let me explain a little bit of a different way. If they said yes to every opportunity that came their way, they could never be the husband or wife they wanted to be known for. They could never be the father or mother they wanted to be known for. They wouldn't have the relationship with God they wanted to be known for. They wouldn't have the opportunity to serve in their church and their community the way that they wanted to be known for. So they began to have active conversations and made a decision that one of them would sort of like stay where they're at. They would say no to those future opportunities so the other one could say yes, but they could continue to be known for the things they wanted to be known for. And there's a dynamic that we have to navigate as we ask these questions and begin to address the gaps. Because as you get with God and you begin to explore what do you want to be known for, what would he love you to be known for, there are some things that you're going to have to say yes to. And there are some things that you're going to have to say no to or no for now. And we all go through those kind of decisions, don't we? Remember one of the things for me in my late 20s, like many of you, began to wear many, many different hats. Pastor, leader, father, husband, friend, co-worker, son, sibling, father, co-worker. And I already had a pretty clear picture of what I wanted to be known for in terms of what kind of a husband I wanted to be known for and what kind of a father I wanted to be known for. And I remember some of the opportunities that first came my way that I quickly said yes to without even thinking. And it was great to be part of a leadership team. We flew over to Russia for two weeks to develop and equip and talk to pastors there. And then I remember going to Naples, Florida, the Ritz-Carlton, because I was asked to be part of a team that was doing a marriage conference that weekend. And these were all great things. And more and more opportunities that became my way, started to come my way. And they were great things, but I realized if I continued to say yes to every single opportunity, there was no way for me to be the husband that I wanted to be known for, or the father that I wanted to be known for. So I had to say no or no for now. But there's other things needed to say yes to. Get to the elementary age, and there was a need for coaches for the soccer team. And I have absolutely no knowledge whatsoever of soccer, right? But yet I know what I wanted to do in terms of having a relationship with my daughter's friends and their parents and have that kind of influence. And 
You've all been in that phase where you're running in different directions all the time, running one daughter towards ballet, the other daughter like two practices a week, a game every weekend, but yet it was easy to say yes to those kind of opportunities for a ridiculous amount of years because I knew what I wanted to be known for, even if it wasn't the easier, convenient thing to do. But here's the thing, here's the thing. You, you will never know what to say yes to. And you will never know what to say no to if you do not know what you want to be known for. You'll never know unless you have clarity about what you want to be known for. Early in the church, followers of Jesus were struggling with what, what did it mean to be a follower of Jesus and what did it look like to be a follower of Jesus? And these are great questions to ask and questions that have been asked and re-asked over the past 2,000 years. But one of the problems that can so easily creep in when you begin to ask those questions and process it, it's easy to start developing lists, rules, uniformity. To be a follower of Jesus looks only like this, or these are things you must do, or these are the things that you must not do to be a follower of Jesus. And when you begin to create those kind of lists and you begin to be known more for the things that you're against, or you just create all these burdens and you create all these barriers for people that are exploring what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And early in church history, these types of problems arose and division occurred and people took sides. We're for, we're, we're for laws and uniformity and requirements. And then there's other people that are saying, well, we're for, for grace. And that's where I want us to start today, where I want us to camp out. In Acts chapter 15, man, we are early, early in church history. And already they're beginning to process these questions and have to deal with this. And this is what we find in verse 1 of Acts 15. While Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch of Syria, some men from Judea arrived and began to teach the believers, unless, unless you are circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. But Paul and Barnabas? Man, they disagreed with them, arguing vehemently. Finally, this is what they decided. Finally, the church decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem, accompanied by some of the local believers, to talk to the apostles and elders about this question. One group wanted to make circumcision a requirement, wanted to make Mosaic law a requirement. If you want to be a part of the church, you must do all these things. Another group said, no, I don't think so. Paul and Barnabas were like, I don't believe that lines up with Jesus. They wanted to make it all about grace. So one group argues for circumcision. Also, coincidentally, this is the group of people who were circumcised at birth. And another group argues against circumcision. And coincidentally, the vast majority of them were not circumcised at birth. So the solution to the problem? Uh, let's go to the higher-ups. See, Paul and Barnabas, this is early in church history. Paul doesn't have a final say on much of anything yet. 
So they're off to go to talk to the likes of Peter and to talk to the likes of James, the brother of Jesus. They're going to let that group of individuals, that higher final word authority, answer this disagreement, answer this question. Because remember, there's no New Testament yet. There's no written books yet. So like people like Peter and James, that's where everything gets decided. In the following verses, the case is made to require Jesus' followers to keep the law of Moses. In other words, it's a group that wanted to be known for keeping the law of Moses, as being a part of the church, to be a disciple of Jesus. Let me put it another way. They were against grace only. They were against non-Jews being able to follow Jesus and be a part of the church without taking some very clear steps. And if you don't think that that's a burden or a barrier to exploring faith or becoming a part of Jesus, I don't know what really is. Hey, welcome to Crossroads. We'd love for you to enter our doors. Love for you to be part of our church family. There's one thing you have to do. Root canal, no Novocaine, no painkiller, right? And people will be like, okay, you know what? I'm interested in Jesus, but I'm not that interested in Jesus. It's a burden. It's a barrier. But so often we lose our way and we start to make faith. We do it like this. This is the way you have to behave. And then you can believe and then you can belong, right? This is what some churches do. You have to behave this way. Then you have to believe these things. Then you can belong to the church. But what's the problem with all of that? It doesn't reflect Jesus at all. Because Jesus said, come and follow me. You can belong. And it took a lot of time for people to believe. And then through time, through following, through being in a relationship with the ever-living God through his son, Jesus Christ, behaviors began to change. And anytime we lose our way and we mix that up, we no longer reflect Jesus well. We create burdens and barriers that keep people away from Jesus. And don't underestimate how huge this question is for the early church. What the church was about to be known for hung in the balance The church is all about a place of keeping the rules or the church is a place all about grace. Maybe you want to think about it like this in today's culture. Way too many people are more familiar with what the church is against rather than what the church is for. I get the temptation. Let's make a list. Here are all the things that we are Against. Here's all the things you can't do if you want to be a follower of Jesus. Here's all the things you must do if you want to be a follower of Jesus. And in my life, I've saw many churches go down this road. And every once in a while, I have somebody approach me and they'll ask me to preach a particular sermon in a particular way. And it often goes like this. People need to know that we're against blank. And you can fill in that blank with the latest cultural issue. And I know of many churches that can do just that. But here's the thing. 
I most often agree with what those churches are saying, but the way that they are talking about it doesn't remind me at all of Jesus. Seems like both the words and the tone are focused on judgment and condemnation and shame and guilt and moralizing and legalism. Those things don't reflect Jesus accurately. And the bride of Christ, the church, were to reflect Jesus as well as what we can to draw people into a relationship, into a community of Jesus followers. When Jesus spends time with people who are like neck deep in sin, right? Sinners, prostitutes, tax collectors. But when he is with those individuals, they don't feel condemnation, judgment, shame, or guilt. They're drawn to Jesus not because of the things that he is against. They're drawn to Jesus because of what he is for, and he is for them. A new life, a fresh start, the love of the Heavenly Father, forgiveness of sins, grace, a life of meaning, purpose, and fulfillment. And if you've ever missed this, as you've worked your way through the Gospels and through the life and ministry of Jesus, Jesus never dumbs down the truth, and he never turns down the grace. But people so understand that Jesus is for them. They can't help but be drawn to him. And if that's true for Jesus, that is meant to be true for us as as his bride, as the church. Let me make this a little bit more real for some of you. I've had conversations with some of you. You grew up in a church or in a generation where one of the common things that were preached were we would call them fire and brimstone churches. Fire and brimstone And many people made decisions to follow Jesus, just sort of a get-out-of-hell-free card, like fire insurance. And here's what I would tell you. I believe in eternal separation from God. I understand the concept and the belief in a literal hell. But when that's preached over and over, and that's the foundation for your faith, it once again, doesn't it all reflect Jesus? And people will make decisions in that Way, but then they don't stick because they never realize that God is for them, that Jesus is for them, that the church is for them. You see, way too many people think church isn't for them because the church isn't for them. We put up barriers, we create burdens that keep people from Jesus. Any of you um, listening to the podcast, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill? Oh, a few more than I thought. Latest episode focuses on shame and shame being a foundation and guilt being a foundation in a church, but also in many churches. Like church becomes all about shame or guilt, Some of you were raised in churches like that or even in families where shame and guilt was used inappropriately or in abundance. And what happens, it becomes a very inaccurate picture of what your heavenly father is really like. And it so harms your relationship and 
You just can't believe that God could be for you, that Jesus is for you, that even the church is for you. And as you continue to read through Acts 15, after people argue pro-circumcision, pro-keeping the Mosaic law, Peter steps into the conversation to begin to answer the question about this requirement for being a part of the community of faith or for being a follower of Jesus. And he uses these words. He says, God knows people's hearts and he confirms that he accepts Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them for he cleansed their heart through faith. So why? Why are you now challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear? This is what we believe. This is what we're for. We believe that we are all saved by the same way, by the same undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. And this, this is huge. This is a new worldview for Jesus following Jews because Peter is saying God has busted open the doors wide open. You don't need to put up these burdens and barriers. It's no longer that God is just for us Jews and people who become like us Jews. It's God is for everyone. And we are going to be known as being for grace, not for laws and requirements. The church will be known for grace and love, not legalism, not shame, not guilt, not judgment, not condemnation. The church will be known for the love of the Heavenly Father and the grace of Jesus Christ. And God is for everyone. So stop mixing and matching covenants. Jesus didn't come to add on to or improve the old covenant. He came to fulfill the old covenant and establish a new covenant. Anybody who desires to be a follower of Jesus becomes under that new covenant. Stop trying to live a life of faith by having a foot in the old and a foot in the new. Everything has changed. A good many years ago here at Crossroads, we were singing this song. Um, it became sort of the song of our year. And let me just give you some of the lyrics because what it does is it paints a picture of what the church is like. And it reads like this. It says, we, we want to be a church where freedom reigns. We want to be a people full of grace. We want to be a shelter where the broken find their place. We want to be a refuge for the weak. We want to be a light for the world to see. We want to be a love that breaks down walls and fills the streets. So let justice roll like a river wild and let mercy grow like a burning fire. And the song goes on and on and on. It paints a picture of the church as what Jesus would have loved and designed and desired the church to be. And after a few Sundays of singing this song, one of you so perceptive, so wise approached me. And this was your question for me. Doug, is that really what we want to be known for? And I'm like, yeah, I think it accurately reflects the heart of the Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ and the, what he desires for the church to be is described in both his words and throughout the New Testament. And then you had a second question for me. 
is that what we're known for? So perceptive. And we stood there silently looking at each other for just a few moments, and I smiled, and then you smiled. And then you said this one line and walked away. Then we have a lot of work to do. Because there was a gap between what we wanted to be known for and what we are known for. And I so believe in you and I so believe in this church that God has so much more in store for us yet. Has so much more in store for you yet. I want you to take seriously what we're going through. And man, that personal in-between session one and session two study. And I want you to get up close to God. And I want you to really begin to process with him in a healthy way what he would love for you to be known for. I want you to be brutally truthful with yourself. Maybe get some feedback with some of those that are closest around you and figure out what it is that you are known for. And when you find that gap, figure out how it is that you're going to address it. Because, man, we all have gaps, don't we? Here's one of the things that I discovered between session one and session two, doing that deep dive into the study. There were, there were many gaps. Let me just give you one gap. Started to process what I would like to be known, Doug, as a brother. Doug is a brother. I, I have six siblings. Now, I don't want to tell you that I'm just an absolutely horrible brother. I'm just sort of like the non-existent one. I, I, not just weeks, but months can go without me talking to any of my siblings because I'm so busy doing everything else. And I realize that if what God is asking me to do to be the brother that he is asking me to be, there's going to have to be some changes in my life to close that gap. And it doesn't have to be super complicated, does it? So I spent some more time journaling, processing, praying, thinking this through. I have so many hours that I spend in my car where I'm uh, calling some of you, listening to podcasts, listening to sermons, listening to an audible book. And all I could do was start taking some of that time to start calling my siblings. Even if I just leave voicemails, bonus points for leaving voicemails, right? I I can begin to close the gap. But it takes intentionality. And it takes the Heavenly Father revealing things like that. There are some things in my life where what I believe he wants me to be known for and what I am known for, there's a gap that needs to be closed. And I'm going to rely on direction, strength, and the grace of the Holy Spirit to help me close those gaps. So what about us as a church? What are we known for? You could answer that in many different ways, but I want to answer that by going back a few years. Uh, a few hundred of you went through our growing young survey. It's our biggest response to any survey we've ever done. And these are some of the things that you say that we were known for or are known for. Top dog, highest number is make visitors feel welcome. That, that's great. Has preaching that's relevant to people's lives. Thank you. I appreciate that. That was a speaking team. That was our number two. Number three, has a reputation as a caring neighbor in our community. Encourages people to live out their faith and their daily actions. Has a thoughtful approach in our ministry to teenagers. All good things that we're known for. 
But what about some of the things that we're not known for? Here, here's what you said. Here are some things that we're not known for. Number one, lowest number basement level on the entire survey. Actively addresses injustices in our society. One step up, actively responds to global crises. Has healthy conversations about generational differences. Provides ongoing care to people living in other countries. Makes efforts to put itself in the shoes of young people. These are things that we are not known for or were not known for. In the past couple of years, we've taken some steps to try to address some of these things. But there was a gap. And we stepped into the gap to try to narrow or shrink the gap between what we believe God wants us to be known for and what we are known for. Because come on, if God has a heart for injustice, we should have a heart for injustice. If God cares about people in crisis in other parts of our country or other parts of our world, we should have a heart for those people and it should be reflected and accurately reflect Jesus well. Let's go back to Acts 15. How does this whole piece get wrapped up? After Peter's highly inspiring speech, like Peter talks, but then James, the brother of Jesus, like says these words. He says this in verse 19. And so my judgment is that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. If you're looking for a verse to memorize or a life verse to live by as a follower of Jesus or for as a church, we, you and I, we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. And one of the ways that we make it difficult is when we create those lists of do's and don'ts and requirements. And one of the ways we create barriers is whenever we make it known all about what we are against. And how we open up the doors wide to people exploring and wanting to know what it's like to follow Jesus. We let them know that we are for them, that the church is for them, that God is for them, that Jesus is for them. For far too long. For far too long, the church has been known for what we're against, and we should be known for what we are for. Jeff Henderson, um, the author of this study, a few years back, Pastor Jeff, Pastor Cindy, and I were at his church in, in Buckhead, just that upscale area of Atlanta, right outside the metro stop. And you look at the signage and you leave the metro, there's a sign that points Buckhead Church. And, and what's amazing is that there are many churches in Buckhead, but only one of them has a metro sign. And what's even more amazing is the church never asked anybody to put them on a government sign that pointed in their direction. But the church was so known in their community that it just seemed common sense to government officials to make a directional sign for Buckhead Church when you got off the metro. I hear a crossroads, we don't have a metro sign that says Crossroad Church this way. <laughs> oh, we don't have a metro, right? But man, it's our reputation, the community been changing and growing and thriving. Here's one that not all of you know about. Three days a week in, right back here in our lower level, LCA Lancaster County Academy. 
We are offering a structured and relational environment for teenagers who don't thrive in the traditional classroom. We're providing a a second opportunity for them to receive their diploma, not just a DEA, I mean a GED, and to also receive the needed skills desired by today's employers. We're part of restarting a stalled education, and the number of students there continues to grow as more and more local school districts want to have a place for their students to go that don't do well in the traditional classroom. We were approached about this and if we would be willing to offer this space because we were known as being for the community. Pastor Phillips sent me an email this past week and it just says that it's from the Donico, our local school district, inviting him in to be a part of the team for a comprehensive three-year planning. And those kind of things happen because our community knows that we are for them. So here's my request on the connection card. If you want to respond online or in person today, and if you're doing your in-between session studies, this is what you're going to be doing. But even without that, even if somehow you're not in a small group, these are things you can still do. Get some time with God and ask him, what do you want to be known for? And then take some time to really truthfully assess what is it that you're known for? And then begin with the work of the Holy Spirit to figure out how to close that gap. Let's pray. Father, it is so easy to know that you are for us. You sent your one and only Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins for the world. You are so for us and want to be in a relationship with us that you made that abundantly, amazingly clear. But we confess that way too often we have lost our way and we have garnered a reputation that is more about what we are against than what we are for, and that does not accurately reflect Jesus. And we confess that sin, and we ask you for forgiveness. As a church, as a collective, the church of the nation, the church worldwide, may we be a place where people know that the church is for them, that you are for them, that Jesus is for them then let's make this personal. As we grow and mature as a follower of Jesus, there's some gaps in our life. There's gaps between who you would love us to be and who you, what you would love us to be known for and then what we actually are known for. As those gaps are revealed in the days and the weeks to come, may we humbly come before you and seek your help, your power, your strength of the Holy Spirit to begin to close those gaps so that our lives more and more accurately reflect Jesus Christ. More and more accurately reflect the person that he has desired you and I to be. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.